Good morning. I feel like we already had church. We could just go home. Um, I really do feel like, though, and, and I'm not trying to just say what I do is important, that we believe that worship is worship and like in song and then praying is part of worship and then the word is part of worship and the repentance that I hope comes out of the end of this is worship. And so we're in a series, we're continuing it for the next two weeks called Exodus in God's Presence. Uh, and before we get to golden calves and idols and Exodus chapter 32, uh, that's really been the hope is that we've been made for, you've been made for the presence of God. You were created for it. You hunger for it. You are, uh, Jesus is the one that brings you back into relationship, into the presence of God. And, and I don't even need to talk about golden calves and about the idols of your heart. All I need to say is, are you taking hold of, are you fully grasping the thing that Jesus purchased for you? which is not knowledge of the cross, knowledge of the things of God, but knowing him. Are you walking with him? What changed this week because you were a part of the people of the presence of God? Was your life different? That's all I have to say. And if you're anything like me, you're already a little bit like, oh, that hurts, that hurts, you're at, right? We have this full invitation from the God of everything who sent his son with these great and precious promises and died a death that we deserve and invites us to come, not to just know about him, but to know him, walk with him, hear from him, experience him, filled with the Holy Spirit, the very third person of the Trinity. And we sum up, we, the culmination of that is, let me get a collared shirt on and go to church, hear a convicting message about idols. And then I'll rinse and repeat for the rest of my life while standing on the outside of an invitation into the very presence of God. And so that's kind of the, like the heart of this whole thing is that if you hear, all you hear today is, hey, don't have idols, you've missed the point. The point is we have an invitation from something that will, a, not a something, a someone, God himself who will satisfy. And the idols of our lives will promise the same things that they will lead us to death. So in Exodus chapter 32, uh, you have the famous golden calf. Have you read the Bible long enough? Uh, we'll get there. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read a lot of it. But this is how I kind of enter into this story. Uh, so for about last month, I realized that there was a dead mouse somewhere in my office. Has that ever happened to you? So anytime anybody would come in there for counseling, I'd be like, I apologize, there's a dead mouse. So I did with it what any man would do. I stole a candle from Kristen Sanders' office, all right? Uh, it was a small one, and I think it was like black cherry. So then I lit this small, tiny candle, and you know what my office smelled like? Black cherry and dead mouse. So there was like a really weird mixing of like death, but with like a nice perfume on it. So I was like, I just didn't get a big enough candle. So I stole a bigger candle from Kristen's office, uh, which was like mandarins and mosaics. I don't even know what that is, but then my office smelled really like mandarins mixed with dead mouse. So no matter what, I could like, I could spritz some stuff on it. I mean, I could, I, then I finally, I just had to tear my office apart and find a dead mouse carcass. Like, did you use gloves? No, I didn't. I'm a man. Um, and I got rid of that. And now my office doesn't smell like dead mouse carcass. In the same way, you have the Israelites, something's dead on the inside of them and it smells. And so what you're going to see is the, what, what happens when they don't deal with the idols of their hearts they start doing things with their hands that dishonor the Lord that they say that they love. So in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, you have Moses up on the mountain, which we talked about in week one of this series. You have Joshua's up there with him. He's gotten the Ten Commandments. All kinds of things are happening. We'll join back in there right, right at verse 1 of chapter 32. When the people saw 
that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hands, and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you just kind of track the whole story from the Moses story, Prince of Egypt story, chapter 19, they come up to the mountain of God, it's shaking, trumpets are blowing, they see God up on the mountain, and they're like, we don't want to go up there. There's actually a boundary around the mountain that if you cross over, kill whatever crosses that line, including kids, donkeys, goats, whatever it is that's got to die because God's holy. We talked about that. How do they forget all that? It almost seems unbelievable, Right? If you would track the timeline, how long do you think they'd been out in the, out in the desert at this point? Anybody? Some people say longer. I, I say it's about three months. About three months since God split open the Red Sea, led them out into the desert. They're before the mountain of God. And just this thing, just think, all the things they had seen firsthand, right? I'll, I'll recount a couple. They had seen all the plagues happen. So the 10 plagues that if we were like, that's definitely got, like, Rabid frogs, no, they weren't really rabid, but frogs, locusts, boiling, I mean, blood rivers, the darkness that lasted three days. You have all these things, and they watch them happen with their eyeballs, right? Then you have God leading them after the Red Sea by a pillar of cloud by, by day and a pillar of fire by night. Then if we didn't read this part, you have this whole manna thing, which is just like, like, magical bread shows up on the ground and they get to gather it and eat it and God provides for them physically food to eat and when they get tired of that he's like well here's some quail they just also just show up and they're like quail bread quail manna all I mean it's amazing a story of God's provision twice now in in this book God's going to provide water for them once Moses smacks a rock with a stick and once he actually throws a, a tree into a saltwater pond and it purifies it like a Brita fountain. Like, it's just amazing, all right? God is providing, God is speaking, God's shaking mountains. God, they see the presence of God and then evidently it all just flies out of their head. The moment that Moses takes a little too long on the mountain. And, and, and so you, here's the thing. They take off their, their gold rings and their earrings and their, their wife's ears do you remember where they got those from, if you know your Bible? Where did all those came from? So really, God kind of gave those things to his people, almost like a wedding gift. He, there's this really cool moment where finally Pharaoh breaks after Moses is like, let my people go. You know that part of the story? God gives favor to the Israelites in the eyes of the Egyptians, and even though they're like, hey, we've been your slave masters and we really hate that you're leaving, here's our stuff. So God does this for his people, and then they take pretty much a wedding gift, boil it down, and make an idol. It'd be like, it'd be like my wife selling her wedding ring so she can get a hotel room with somebody else. Kind of an insult, right? You're like, no, not an insult at all. That makes perfect sense. Pawn it. You know, I got to. Thanks, guys. 
So how is this happening? How is this moment happening of the people grumbling? And let's get a golden calf in here, Aaron. Aaron, lead us to actually the God that we can see and touch. How's that happening? Go to verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation. And he said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the, to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So these burnt offerings and these peace offerings are the same ones that are instructed about in chapter 29 of Exodus. God tells the people how to worship him and how to bring peace offerings and burnt offerings and how to worship him. And then they do it, but they mix it with their old gods. So I don't want to excuse what they did, but I do want to explain it. Because I think some of us, like I always, when we talk about idols, I know you don't have a small statue in your house somewhere that you bow down to. At least I don't think you do. If you do, let's talk. I do think, though, that we are more like these people than maybe we, can, we, than we give ourselves credit. So these are people with families, right? Families that have just left everything, followed God miraculously, but now they're in the middle of the desert. Have you been with kids when a temperature is hot or cold? Like immediately, they're just, it's so hot, Dad. I can't. I'm like, five minutes, brud. Like five minutes. Like this, this is a people in a desert with no homes and no jobs. And yeah, the manna and the quails, they're great. But when, is that going to stop? When are we not going to have that? And then you have on top of that Moses, our leader. Our leader is gone, and he's been, we don't even know if God killed him up there. He could have done something stupid. We're just left here with these dumb people in this dumb desert. Man, I want to go back to Egypt. And then further still, you have to notice that what they're doing, we already kind of noticed, is it wasn't an outright rejection of God. Did you notice that? They all weren't like, let's be atheists. They were like, let's set up a feast to the Lord, but let's supplement that. So he says in verse 4, Aaron says to them, these are your gods, plural, the calf and Jehovah. Both of these things. We can see the one, and we know the guy on the mountain over there. We're afraid of him, so give us the calf. And then in verse 5, it says, they declared, as we already said, a feast to the Lord. So they're declaring something unto God while defiling it by doing something that God has forbidden. And so the calf wasn't a replacement for God. It is a supplement to God. So the calf was familiar to them. It's what they would have worshipped in Egypt. It's what some of the Egyptians would have worshipped. So it was common, it was comfortable, it was safe, and they're anxious and scared, and the kids, and they're like, we don't know what to do. Let's do something we know. Is that you see how that's more relevant to you now? In a time of anxiety, in a time of stress, in a time when we don't know how things are going to pan out, we turn to something familiar. I understand that in my life. And, and so in, the times, in times of your life, even if you're a Christian, I think everybody in here, if I was like, are you a Christian? You'd be like, I am a Christian. In times of fear, in times of anxiety, in times of worry, when stuff hits the fan, we have a tendency in our hearts to turn back to our old gods. I put that in finger quotes because that's lowercase g. To turn back to the things we used to trust in. And so verse 7, Moses is going to learn about this from God, and it's interesting what he says. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people 
whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I find that fascinating. God who's just covenanted with the people is like, Moses, you better go check your people because your people have corrupted themselves, right? That's awesome. He's like, I don't even want to own these people. I'm over it. Go deal with them. Verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And they have said, these are your gods, O Israel, whom you brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. So that image right there is very telling. Like any of you all have a strong-willed child? I'll put my, both my hands and my foot up. Uh, so like I do, right? You ever had one of them kind of like stiffen their necks? Like when you tell them something and you're like, go over there and do that, and you see them almost physically like, that is the picture, right? It's like when someone says, you're going to do this, and you say, bet I will. That's almost the picture of the Israelites with God, and God's like, I commanded them, and I led them, and I saved them, and I've made them my treasured possession, and I've, I've brought them out of Egypt, and I've fed them every day with manna, and here's some quail for Pete's sake, and then now... They have stubbornly said, but you're not enough. This is the picture. This is the picture of not trusting. This is a picture of being stubborn and rejecting the God who would save them. And then in verse 10, God's going to say some things uh, that we'll talk about. Verse 10, now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Once again, God's done with it, right? And who on earth wants to hear this statement from God? Leave me alone, I'm going to burn them up. Leave me alone, I'm going to consume them so I can do something pure and right and what I created them for. Like, leave me alone, God says, right? What's strange to me is God knows these are not Moses' people, and he commands him to leave him alone, and yet Moses apparently can't listen. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and he said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? You hearing this? Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I'm killing all of them, and I'm going to restart with you, Moses. Moses goes, but do you remember your promises? You remember how you said the thing, God? That's crazy, right? Almost irreverent. But he continues, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and had said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. In all this land that I have promised, I will give to you offspring and they shall inherit it forever. So if you want to know how to pray... Like, if you just want a lecture series on how to pray, boop, there it is. In fact, all, in prayer series, regularly, you'll hear guys preach about this passage because they're going, here's the God of everything who's sovereign, who's over all things, who knows all things, and has a covenant in people going, I'm going to blow them up. Moses implores him through prayer, and what happens, apparently? We're all like, God changed his mind, did he? Did God change his mind? Did Moses' prayer make God change direction? Apparently so. Now we can get into all the mm, 
the nitty-gritties of sovereignty, because this is somehow why some of you all don't pray, because you give a big old, what's it matter? God's will will be done. A fatalistic, like, doesn't matter if I pray or I don't pray. Moses would say, it matters a lot. And so Moses is put in a situation by God to learn how to pray. God, you started all this. God, you're faithful. God, I know your promises are true. And yeah, those guys are morons, but remember your promises and save them. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And then Moses turned and he went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. So Joshua, young Joshua, had gone with Moses up the mountain. And I love this whole exchange because some of us, we like to downplay maybe what the Israelites are doing. Oh, they're not worshiping. They're just having a party uh, and they're having a little barbecue. But he's like, what do I hear? Is that war cries? No. Are they lamenting? No. They are singing so loudly that they're up on a mountain. He's like, oh, they're having a party. Is that a party? Is that a bull? This is the, re like the realization that Joshua and Moses are having as they're coming down the mountain. And in verse 19, they see the whole thing. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire, ground it to powder, and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. So you have this moment where Moses gets so angry, he takes the thing that God wrote, slams it on the ground, and then goes, give me that bull, burns it up, smashes it up, throws it in a body of water, is like, drink it. Drink it. Taste and see the bitterness and the woe. And you, you think that's good on the old digestive track? You think they felt like their tummies were real upset the next couple days, right? Where they're, like, they're walking around going, oh, we should not have done that, right? So you see that they had to taste and see. I mean, and here's the thing. Does it not make the point that idolatry is not something to be like, eh, happens? That it's actually punishable? That there's a severity to it? And I say severity to it because the next couple of verses we're about to read are going to just rub against our cultural beliefs right now. Um, but let's keep reading. Verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know, we do not know what has become of him. Did you hear him? He blamed the people. Then he blamed Moses. And then he pretty much was just like, I don't even know. This, this is Aaron acting like a middle school student. Like, I, just don't, I don't even know how it happened. One second you were gone, people were doing the things, and then I was like, oh, go, calf, I'm sorry. Right? So I, so I said to them, verse 24, so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Right? Like, I don't even know. I just, all of a sudden, I just, poof. It's like the kid with candy in his pocket. He's like, I don't know how that got there, Mom. Like, that's just, 
you know, weird, weird, right? Sounds very similar, though, uh, kind of how we act. I, I actually say how our first parents act. Adam and Eve sin in the garden. What's Adam say? She did it. What do we say when we sin? If he wouldn't have treated me that way, I wouldn't have reacted this way. If, if all the circumstances had been perfect, I would have, be, I would have acted in a, a righteous, responsible way. But instead, I had to sin. So we're Aaron in this story, guys. We're not Moses indignantly marching down the mountain slamming tablets, okay? This is how we read the Bible. When we read the Bible, what we do is we pick the most glorious, beautiful character, and we're like, that's me. No, no, no. You're either the Israelites bowing in front of a calf or you're Aaron leading them into it. That's us. That's me. We'll fight later. Okay. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. See how the Bible doesn't let Aaron off the hook? If you go reread this whole section, it will actually tell you that Aaron got their gold, engraved it with a graving tool, and made the calf. There was no like, I was walking with an armful of gold, Moses, and tripped into a fire, calf. None of that. It was very intentional. It was a leadership decision. He failed. What happens next is intense. Verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, Who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Put your sword on your side, each of you. Go in to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor and the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. So once again, do we have this idea in our culture like, all right, well, if I trip up, you know, grace. And there is amazing grace in Jesus Christ. But here, what do you see? That idolatry is severe. And so it goes to a point, I mean, how bittersweet it is for these priests who are supposed to help the people are now told to punish them. Now, don't think that they're just willy-nilly walking through the crowd like, I don't like you. I don't like you. This is the people that had started this rebellion against God and led the people in idolatry. I believe those are the ones that fell. But let's liken it to this. I have given all the elders in the back swords. All of you that are idolaters, they're going to come kill. Does that not make it a little bit like, I'm so... I don't have any idols, not me, uh, right? And I know this confuses some of us. Like, why, why would God order something like that, right? And if you're not asking that question, you're just not thinking critically enough. Like, why would God order something like that? And I don't have time to cover the whole thing, but I really think that the point is that there's a severity. There's a weight. There is death in sin. And if we're going to come to God with our mouths in this room, and we're going to say, God, I belong to you. I've covenanted with you through the death of your son on the cross. I invite the Holy Spirit into me. I enjoy the presence of God with my life. But at the same time, I'm going to sleep around and have idols in my life. Do you not think that there's going to be judgment? See, we don't, some of us. And that's the scary part. Now, I don't think anybody with swords is coming for me. I don't think God's dropping animals on me. But it doesn't mean he's pleased with me. And so this story just points to the severity of sin and God wanting to wake up his people. 
If you want to read even more horrible stories like this, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to cheat on God again, and even more of them are going to die. And so this story, like verse 31, so Moses returned to the Lord and he said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. So Moses so buys in on the people, like he's like, I'm with them, kill me too with them. Aaron throws them all under the bus. Moses is like, please save them. This story, as I said, is kind of a par- like a, a parallel of the pattern of Adam and Eve in the garden, and even us on a modern day scale, right? Uh, and so, like in the garden, God is temporarily not seen with their eyeballs. And, and so what comes in? Temptation, the accuser, and they give in, right? Temporarily, God is not seen by the Israelites, or they forget. And they give in to fear and anxieties and the accuser, and they sin. Us. Temporarily, there's days, right? You don't feel like you can see them or hear them. feels far away. And so you get a little anxious. You hear the voice of the accuser, and you give in to sin. This is the story of, like, the whole Bible, the pattern that is repeated from Genesis 3 through all the prophets to the promise of the Messiah, to the Pharisees, to us today. And so I think there's two really big lessons for us. I'm only going to give you two. I had eight before today, but I have two, all right? In times of stress, fear, or worry, we return to the gods in which we are most familiar trusting. Notice the lowercase tree. Not the God of heaven and earth, not the one that actually saves, not the one that only is and always will be. We return to Little case, lowercase, gods or idols. So when you're scared, where do you run? I do this all the time. And I've made fun of it enough. So maybe it's TJ Maxx and candles. Or maybe it's dicks and fishing supplies. Where do you run when you're scared, when you're stressed, when you're worried, when you're anxious? And so all of us, and this is me included, all of us before Jesus, and like I said, we're in church, so we'll lie about this. Yes, we love Jesus in this room, absolutely. But all of us pre-Jesus, we had gods that we ran to other than trusted in more than God. And in some of us, I think, we never really expunged, we never expelled those old gods. We just covered over them with religion. Good behavior, collared shirts, and not cussing. So unless we ever do the hard level, heart level work of, Lord, expel the idols and the things that I run to and the time in my, when I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm just shoving ice cream in my mouth because it makes me feel good. Like these are the things that your heart was made to find its peace even in the worst of times in God. So the calf was what they had worshipped in Egypt. They didn't reject God. They just added something they knew. So what we look for is, where's, where am I outright rejecting God? I don't think it has to look like that. Where are the places in your life where you go, God and? I want God. Oh, yes, I want God because I don't want to go to hell. I want God. I want heaven. I want all the goodness of that. But I really, really need this to be happy. And if I don't have this, God let me down. That's what you're looking for. That's the heart-level work that I think this passage calls out. What do you tend to trust in alongside of God? I'll say this. Quit blaming your circumstances and your situations for your problems, though, okay? So the people go, Moses, if you hadn't taken so long, 
Aaron, if you would just lead us, man. Like, it, if you, Moses, had been a better leader. Do we, we play the same game? Here's, here's a question. Uh, I know, once again, we all say that Jesus is our Savior. But when life knocks you, when stuff happens, when stuff hits the fan, what spills out of you? Is it Jesus? Is it the word of God? Is it prayer? Or is it, what is it? It's a surefire sign of, uh, it's like smoke from a fire. It's like smoke from a fire of an idol. And so instead of putting a little scented candle on it and being like, I hope the stink would go away, don't just waft the smoke away, deal with the idol. Where does the trail of your worry and your fear and your stress, where does it lead you back to? What's inside of you? Because it was what was inside of the Israelites, not outside of them, that made them idolaters. That's number one. Number two, we need to learn to trust in God's presence even when we can't feel it. Did you hear me? So there's a game I've played for most of my life. I, I want to feel it. I want to I feel it, and I base a lot of things on my feelings, and my feelings, 100 out of 100, 10 out of 10, all the time out of all the time, have betrayed me. And so, I, have you ever said these, I can't feel God? You ever say that? I just don't feel like when I pray, I feel like I'm praying and it's hitting the ceiling and he's silent. I don't feel a lot of like churning in my heart right now. We, we play this game about our feelings. So in this story, the Israelites, they felt like they were alone. They felt like Moses had kind of left them and they felt like God wasn't enough. But here's the question, were they really alone? You, you don't want, was that a No. Thanks. <laughs> Where they, they weren't, no, but they couldn't feel him. Apparently didn't have the memory to recall that he had been faithful through all these months in the desert. So in the same way, we, you and I, have God's presence with us in a way that they'd ever have. In a way that I think they would long to say, I want the God's presence in my life the way that we can. The third person, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, indwells believers which means you have God with you. That is, not, that is not a feeling statement. That's a Bible statement. So regardless if I'm over here feeling flowers and sunshines and like Holy Spirit time, that doesn't matter. The truth is the word of God says that the promises of God are true and that that has been given to me as a son. Therefore, I can trust that God is with me, that God is for me, that God's around me, even when I can't feel it. So I think we're all prone to measure God by what we can see or not see, right? We play that game, right? Well, I pray these prayers. I really see an uptick in my finances. God is here. We play this dumb game, right? But that's not, I don't treat my kids that way. Like, let me give them a little bit just so they'll remember I'm around, you know? Like, I don't play that game with my kids. This isn't the God who's hiding from us. And so these people had seen plagues and the Red Sea split and manna from heaven and God himself speaking on a mountain and the mountain shaking, right? They had seen all these things. We have something that reveals God's compassion and grace and presence even more. Do you know what it is? Just yell the cross. Just the cross declares God's favor, God's goodness, God's pleasure, God's pursuit, God's dealing with my sin, God's after me, God has dealt with my sin, and I don't ever have to fear it again. 
So I have something that speaks that to me. It is the sign. It's why we hang it around our necks on necklaces. It's why we proclaim the cross because it's foolishness, but it's the glorious good news. So what do you do when you can't feel God, when you can't feel it? So I, I think you've got to believe what the light of the cross says over your feelings. Again, declare it. And I'll, I'll give you three things if you're like, well, I'm, I, I don't feel it right now. I need to know about this presence. I think there's three things you've got to constantly put in front of your face. Number one, you've got to keep the word of God right up here. You've got to keep this all over this, okay? Just keep the word of God in you. Memorize it. Preach it to yourself. Get up and place yourself in front of the faucet of the grace of God. It will come from this, not your feelings. Two, the people of God. Get them next to you. And I don't mean the, I was going to say something mean, the flaky ones, but that kind of sounded mean, but then I said it. I mean the people like the ride or die people that are like sold out, ride or die, I've never said that since eighth grade. Um, the people that like, they see Jesus, they've locked eyes with him and they'll die for him if he calls them to. Get those people around you. The people that are like, you need something to pray for? I'll pray for you. Like those people. Get those people around you, and, and then in those moments where you're like, I don't feel the presence of God, they'll go, bop, and then you will. Okay, so uh, no, you just need, the people of God were never designed to do this thing on their own, and if you're trying to, I guarantee you, you will forget the works of God that he's done. It's just, the Israelites did, and if they did, you will. It, it'll be like, you'll just start to slowly dull the remembrance of like, when God answered that prayer. Or when that prophetic vision, uh, you'll just forget. And so you need people around you to be like, do you or not remember? And call you out of that little pit of forgetfulness. And then finally, the worship of God. Now, I, and I know some of you are like, well, I don't feel like worshiping. I didn't ask if you felt like worshiping. If you want to really declare over your feelings that God is worthy, worship. Even when you feel it or not. Worship is an act of obedience. Don't know if you know that. Worship has nothing to do with, I feel tinglies in my belly. Not nothing. It doesn't have anything to do with if I want to. It has everything to do with the God who has revealed himself through his word being worthy to be sung about, heralded about, followed after, sought with all my heart. So if those three things, the word of God, the people of God, and the worship of God, I, I think you don't have to fear about if you feel the presence of God or not, the Lord's with you. And so that's my encouragement to you. And this is how I'd like to end right on time. Um, I want to end with Jesus. And you're like, no kidding. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, because here's the point. In, in the end, Moses is going to fail them. Aaron's going to fail them. Aaron already did fail them in this story. The people come to Aaron and they're like, hey, uh, we, we don't want to hear the promises of God. We want to worship something we can see. And Aaron caves. Aaron caves and leads them poorly. Moses is going to get a little too angry and smack a rock. And God's going to say, that's it. You're not going to the promised land. He fails the people. Every leader I've ever known fails the people. Look at me. I'm going to fail you. Do not put your hope in me, this church, an elder group, any person save Jesus Christ. So if you want freedom from idols or sin or religion or you need anything, I would cling to, I would seek after, I would cry out for Jesus Christ, the perfect, 
redeemer of humans. And that's where I'm going to put you because the Bible is really clear that I can preach to you the word of God and I can call you out of your sin and I can say, you all have idols and you go to them all the time. Stop supplementing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with little dainty little things from TJ Maxx. I can say that to you. The Bible is really clear though, like choose this day whom you will serve. So there's been several times in my life where God has revealed idols to me, things, things that shouldn't be there. And I have had to make a choice to destroy them, not give them room in my life anymore. Uh, the cl- I mean, not the clearest one. Like in eighth grade, I was listening to a lot of rap music. So God was like, burn the rap music. Not the rap music. Like, and so I put it all in a box and I burn it. I, I made it impossible to go back. You, you have stories of missionaries like pretty much burning down the house as they're leaving so they can't go home. They have to go where God calls them. That's what I'm asking for you today. That you would let God search you and sift you because he loves you. And then you would come before him and go, God, I recognize that this idol exists. And I pray that you would expel it. That you would crush it. That you would remove it from me and attach my life wholeheartedly to you. What you are doing is an act of repentance. You are saying, I'm doing this act, God, and I'm sorry and I'm repentful. But if there's no life change... So if you recognize that when I'm stressed, I do this, then you need to actively invite another Christian in your life and go, when I'm stressed, I sin against God. Hold me accountable. That would be an act of repentance just as much as saying with your mouth, I have an idol. So this is how we'll end today. The same prayer counselors are going to come up here. And if you just felt like, man, I, you got me. The word of God pegged me to the wall. I have idols. I have parts of my heart that aren't fully God's. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to keep that to yourself. And this is the hardest thing we do as Christians. We would actually confess it out loud to another human being. You would come up to one of our prayer counselors and say, I have this sin. I have this idol. Help. And that's, what we're, that's how we're going to end. It's not happy. It's not like, ooh, that's fun. No, it's faithful and it's obedient honoring to the Lord. Jesus, we love you. So I sit before you, your people, and I pray that you would deal with them. You would deal with me. You would search our hearts, God, and see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. And God, that's with you. And so if even if there's small things, God, that we're supplementing our faith in you with, reveal it. pray that you would purify your bride in this room. Help us not to take lightly what you call sin. Help us not to take lightly, God, our declaration with our mouth that we're yours and then the works of our hands which dishonor you. So Lord, just move in us. Help us not just to come and take, but to actually sit under the weight of the word, to listen to the conviction of the spirit, and to act on it. I pray that you would, just like Moses did, grind up our idols. You'd crush them. But I thank you, Jesus, that all the payment for that, Jesus, you drank all the punishment for my my idols. And now you just offer freedom. And the way to do that is to repent and return and to cling 
to the living God. So Lord, we run to you. I thank you, Jesus. You're good in your name. Amen.